of radio. Everybody, we are back. This is episode 161 of the Dark Windows podcast. If this is your first time joining joining us, my name is Kevin. I'm Kevin as well. And so uh, yes, there is two Kevins. There's two of us. Uh, so there could be some confusion. I'm the one that sounds like he has facial hair. So, and I'm the one that sounds like he doesn't because <laughs> I don't. <laughs> So, this week we are going to dive back into another set of badasses, because we tend to do that around here from time to time. We uh, do? What are you talking about? Because we like to talk about crazy sons of bitches. And, uh, or bitchesettes. We've got some... We've got some uh, I, know for, I know for mine, I've got a crazy son of a bitch this week. I'm not sure about you, but... I got a, I got, I got a ballsy woman. All right, well, if, ladies first, then. Well, I mean, if you insist. <sighs> For the most part, we tend to cover a lot of males, right? Yeah, they generally have more, more of a combat role. They tend to be more. Uh, <sighs> what's the way I want to put this? Batshit crazy enough to do stupid things that could potentially get them killed. Yeah. Well, this time around. I said, the hell with it. You say the hell with it a lot of the time, where you're I just like, do. hey, I'm going to just do a woman. And I'm like, okay, well, you're going to start running out of uh, out of combat ladies here eventually, boss. So, Well, listen, the first woman I covered was not a combat lady. No, she was just a fucking psycho that fought a pack of wolves with her bare hands. <laughs> she did. And then beat the fuck out of some guy because he ordered, like, 275 for laundry. Well, no, because he, he's... You know, mouthed off to her. And she, he also owed her laundry money. It's okay. Mary Fields, for anybody that's curious. I believe she was on our... Oh, boy, I think we did her and Bass Reeves at the same time, if I remember correctly. Um, eh, I can't remember. Sure. Yeah. Well... Either way, she was fucking crazy, and she was like, she was built like Shaquille O'Neal, but she looked like Aunt Jemima. <laughs> and she could handle a fucking weapon. Yeah, bitches she... running around with a shotgun delivering mail and stuff, yeah, yeah. But everybody said she was sweet. I'm sure she was, until you pissed her off, she beat the piss out of well, you. Yes, obviously, when she, when you go into a bar... she fucking knock your dick into your watch pocket, <laughs> yeah. you know? When you go to a bar, and you drag someone out, kicking and screaming, basically, and beat the shit out of them... It's deserved. I, I mean, mean, come on. Every once in a while, you need to get the fuck beat out of you. Exactly. Well, the woman I am covering this week is named Simone Seguin. So she's a French broad, sounds like. <laughs> yes, she is a French woman. Yes. She was born on October 3rd, 1925 in Thivars, France. Okay, let me guess. 1925, France. So... Let's see, 1925 plus 20. Well, well, 1945. She was doing some shit during World War II. Yes. <laughs> of course. That's just the, the skills of deduction here. Because yeah, you can do the I same mean, with mine. <laughs> I mean, gee, you know. You can look at mine and go, 
that year. And then, uh, yeah, well, makes sense. Your guy was doing the reverse. He was not doing because of what he is. Mm. <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. Not so much during the war, but afterwards. But Well, anyway. We'll get there eventually. She grew up in the outskirts of Chartres, which is about 50 miles from Paris. She was largely raised by her father, a decorated World War I veteran. Uh, she taught. She was taught how to defend herself by her three brothers. Well, when Uncle Adolf came to power in 1933, she was only eight years old. So she couldn't really do much of anything. But what she did do was she continued on a normal way of life. Because <laughs> you know, she's a fucking child and yes, stuff. Yes, and that normal was going to school every day with the rest of her peers. I wonder what that was like. Going to school? No, like... Well, it's just, a one-room schoolhouse, probably. Uh, no, but just trying to go to school and get an education in a fucking war zone. Well, not in 1933. Well, it's going to be shortly. Soon. Give it a couple years. Exactly. But still, that that must have been... I couldn't imagine. I mean, If we was... have any Israeli listeners, I'm sure they can tell us, because you guys fucking grew up in a war zone for the most part, and some bad motherfuckers... You know? I mean... Just going to school and not knowing if a fucking rocket's gonna come ripping through the side of the wall, the side of the building or something. Or in their case, you know, a fucking tiger just kind of rolling through the wall. And like, ha! Surprise, children! Yeah, I, I think a lot of schools during that time were kind of cancelled. I don't think a lot of places in that were in war-torn countries... <laughs> they, were, <laughs> they, they were doing remote learning. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> What was that? Oh, what was that, uh, Johans? No, no, no. It was not two. Fucking ye old Zoom call. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was called. You're <laughs> the Fucking chalkboards out the window at each other. He said. Like Dawn of the Dead. <laughs> so his, his yodel said his answer was five. Well, respond back. <laughs> that, I don't know why we're worried about the Germans' education. Fuck those guys. Whatever. But I, I'm pretty sure the French what, didn't yodel much. Well. They're more like sending, like, cigarette smoke signals and shit. <laughs> They're fucking throwing flag signs with baguettes and shit, you know? Not only the German... Not, I mean, Germans not, weren't the only ones to yodel. You know? Yeah, the Swiss do, too, but they, yeah. they tend to stay pretty neutral. <laughs> well, yeah. You know? Duh. I mean, so did the, you know, the Austrians and some of those other... The Irish. Ones. I mean, I'm pretty sure that... There's possibility that some French, you know, in the western half did, or eastern half. Matter of fact, I learned the other day that there was a pretty large group of, uh, of Irish folks during World War II that were trying to join the Axis powers because they had the same common enemy with the British. So they thought if they could get some, some kind of support from their German buddies, even though they weren't buddies... They just thought if they could get any kind of support or weaponry or anything like that, mm. they could just fucking fight the English back. Mm. Which, uh, who mm. knows? The Mexicans almost joined him, too. Sure. That would have been bad. Yeah. For Mexico. Well, anyway, back to, back to Simone. Uh, so, life was normal for her. Well, then it, the family retreated to their countryside home in May of 1940. But, however, well, the Nazis invaded, you know. Uh, as they do. Over. That's kind of their thing. <laughs> yeah. 
And uh, when uh, she was 14 years old, she left school forever. And in 1943, she met Lieutenant Ronald Brogier, an ex-engineer recruiting brave youths to join the French Resistance. Fuck yes. Against good old Adolf. Brogier had uh, joined the Francs Tires et Partisans, or the Free Shooter and Free Shooters and Partisans. Short, the FTP. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Sounds like some goddamn... Getting, that, that, this is brought to you by the FTP. No. Get your flowers. No, dude, the FTP sounds like some fucking, like, <laughs> South American insurgency group, you know. We are with the FTP. <laughs> we are here to sell you cocaine and get money and steal your guns. And maybe not so much in that order. Maybe not so much, but who knows? Well, who knows? Uh, so it was a communist resistance group dedicated to fight against fascism. He had become a high-ranking chief there by, uh, hold on, he had become a high-ranking chief, but, there, but retreated to the countryside, and where he met Seguin. After shooting a traitorous Frenchman, he said, I studied her for a while to see what her feelings were. And he would later admit, quote, When I discovered she had a French feelings, I told her little by little about the work I was doing. I asked her if she would be scared to do such work. She said, no, I would ple- uh, it would please me to kill Boucher, which is a German soldier. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> So, Seguin thus committed herself to Brochier's training. She taught... Oh, sorry, not she. Okay, so how old is she at this time, at this point? Uh, so... Like, 12? 14. Okay, well, still, she's a child anyway. Yeah. Um, so, over the next following years, to be precise, four, he taught her how to operate a uh, German... Uh, Schmeiser MP40 machine gun. Oh, nice. Uh, which Brazier had confiscated from an unlucky Nazi and proved to her... Quote-unquote confiscated. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> We're going to get in some quote-unquotes about weapons later, <laughs> too. <laughs> uh, uh, and he also provided her with identity, new identity, and that identity was Nicole Minette. God, still gross in French. Then uh, this was she had to have this before becoming like a full fledged member because well, yeah. you know you got to have a secret identity. Yeah. Um, in 1944, you could have you picked something less terribly fucking French though. <laughs> yeah. Uh, she was 18 years old. Her first task to actually be kind of really um, when, when, after becoming a member, a full fledged member of this group. Um, she was told to steal a bike from German soldier, soldiers, and she then had to paint it to avoid detection. <laughs> um, and there's a reason. There's a reason for this, though. Because, um, it, and this became her, quote-unquote, reconnaissance vehicle. 
Um, like a bicycle. She, yep, and she used it to move around without tr- attracting notice so she could deliver messages and snoop around. She used the bike because Nazis had laid claim to all cars and public transportation. Well, yeah, there's shitheads like that. Had, and all, well, she had laid claim, laid claim to all cars and public transportation had largely been shut down. Well, yeah, so I mean, it's a fucking war zone. Yeah. You know? Um, you so, can't check everybody's peppers every time they get on and off a bus. Did you say peppers? I did. You mean papers. <laughs> we don't have any fucking peppers. <laughs> uh, her own farm became a, a hub to discuss operations. Brogier had grown the FTP from one mass of 40 people into four sizable groups, with Seguin as the uh, intermediary... Yes. Intermediary. Yes, that word. There you go. <laughs> use it. Use it. You, it's all with, yours. With Seguin as a... <laughs> Hold looking, on. Are you looking at my shit? No. I just kind of <laughs> guessed the word you were Are looking you for. looking through my glasses? I no. Can my, I can't see that good. I can see your screen. I can see white on your screen. That's about, about as uh, far as I can go from there. Sure you are. So, anyway, restart that. With Seguin as the intermediary between them all. She wanted the ability to kill Boucher, German soldiers, um, and she did. She got her wish when she camped out in a ditch on the side of the road on July 14, 1944. She and her two comrades spotted two Nazi soldiers approaching on bicycles. So Gwen and her... (laughs) Oh, we about to add to the fleet. (laughs) So Gwen and her partners opened fire, killing the invaders. She then confiscated the Nazis' papers and weapons and secured them in her home. She later admitted that, quote, One of the best days was when we arrested 25 German soldiers towards the end of the war. It felt as good as, um, it felt as, good as we knew we would soon um, have our country back from occupation. Yeah, understandable. So the next month after this... Uh, brave attack her a brave most... attack they ambushed these guys in a fucking drainage ditch that's not a that's not a brave attack that's just waiting yes. and just going uh, now <laughs> just lighten these fucks up so a, a kind of a memorable moment um f- was actually captured um on photograph by uh robert kappa and he printed it a printer image for Life magazine. Nice. Um, he spotted Seguin eating a sandwich and carrying a machine gun as the <laughs> town of Chartres uh, celebrated its uh, impending liberation. And she was she was smoking a cigarette too because she's French. Oh, probably. They they come out with a fucking lit cigarette like out like out of the womb. Uh-huh. And they don't they don't even smoke like that. They smoke like this. They hold it underneath and. Well, those are the guys. It's the French in general. No, you don't. No, she was holding it with two fingers straight up. I don't know, dude. Yes, those Europeans all smoke cigarettes. Fucking different. Being it was a fucking mile and a half long cigarette. No, they weren't. They're like that long. They're lucky strikes, dude. First off, a no, it was it looked like a mile and a half long because it had those long fucking stems. You're trying to tell me that this bitch had a filter stick with her at all? No, no, no. She was just smoking unfiltered, like. She was like Corolla Lay Lucky Strikes or whatever the fuck they were the French had. Probably like Corolla DeVille. You know, remember Corolla had Yeah, a... yeah. That's, I'm pretty sure she didn't have one of those. 
Because they're like seven inches long. You can't bend it and stick it in a pocket. You'll break it. Hey, you know, maybe she did. They also they also just had soft packs back then for cigarettes. That's they true. didn't have, you know, like the cardboard and boxes. I bet you she didn't have Lucky Strikes either because they probably had something else. I said lay Lucky Strikes or whatever. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Le, I, I apologize. Lay Camel. Lemon Stone. Those are fucking nasty. They probably had pot amounts. <laughs> I don't know if they would have had those. Uh, no. God damn one, it. Okay, continue. Two. Fucking no, they definitely didn't have Paul Malls. <laughs> uh, anyway. Uh Chartres was gonna be liberated was liberated on uh, August twenty third, nineteen forty four. So um Robert and Seguin um spoke as flags were unfurled from windows. Women who had taken up with the Nazi soldiers during the occupation were being carried into the streets to have their hair forcibly sheared Oh, they off. were fucking awful to those women, too. Not only there, but also in uh, uh, Netherlands. Yeah. They did the same thing. A lot of places. Uh, by the way, they would have had uh, Gaulais, which was uh, French for Gaulish. Sure. A bunch of douchebags. They're Gauls. Come on. Yeah, but still. Jesus, you know. Jesus, this company's still around. They were founded in 1910. Well, Balls. Hey. Nope. Cigarettes. <laughs> uh, she would be later awarded the crew. Uh, Croix de Guerre. Yeah. It's the French the Medal Croix, of Honor. Yes. Yeah, you're the welcome. Croix de Guerre, a French <laughs> honor for her aiding in the liberation of Paris two days after Chartres was freed. She said she stood by uh, famed French general and eventually provisional president of France, Charles de Gallier. Charles de Gaulle. They named an airport after him, too. Well, and I only know Croix de Guerre because I've had to say that before because, like, three of the dudes I've covered have won it. <laughs> and none of them have been goddamn French. <laughs> he, she was part of his security outfit. We That's know, pretty cool. We know they were fucking. I don't know. She was... Pro- uh, yeah, it's France, so probably, yeah. <laughs> They'll fuck anything that moves over there. They are fucking animals. <laughs> Let me see your armpits. Ugh. Ooh, they are super hairy. You have plenty of hair in your armpits. It's time to fuck it. Off with her head. No, wait, wrong place. Off with her shirt. More like it. <laughs> yes. So, uh, after Chartres was uh, liberated, Simone joined uh, France's 2nd Armored Division, heading to Paris, where a brutal battle was to take place. The 2nd Armored Division helped defeat the Germans and bring freedom to the City of Light. Simone was asked if she ever killed anyone. She answered, quote, On July 14, 1944, I took part in an ambush with two comrades, two German soldiers, this is this is the one I had yeah, told yeah. about that she uh, said that she had killed them, um, and but she says um, she says so. I'll, I'll read the quote. Uh, on July fourteenth, nineteen forty four, I took part in an ambush with two comrades. Two German soldiers soldiers went by uh, on a bike, and three of us fired at the same time. So I don't know who exactly killed them. You shouldn't have uh, to kill someone like that. 
It's true. The Germans were our enemies. It was war, but I don't draw any pride from it. Uh, in her later years, she became a pediatric uh, nurse in Chartres and raised six children. I thought you were going to say a pediatric ninja for a yes, second. Yes, she was. <laughs> like, Whoa, wait, what? She, she was a pediatric. Yeah, no. Now, so. At the time that I got this information, she was 94. I couldn't... I don't know if she's still alive or not. I haven't found anything that says she's dead. Um, any, you know, actually, I looked it up several different places. So, nothing says she was, she's dead. So, she's 94 plus. And she lives in Corvier-sur-Iru. I don't know. Not good at French. Uh, where a street was recently named after her. Mayor Frederick Halloon describes Simone as a, quote, a rebellious spirit, a strong character, certainly, uh, who took her fa father's example and rejected the enemy occupancy uh, in our country. Yeah, resilient spirit. No shit, she's a 14-year-old girl and she does fucking guns down two Nazis on bikes. She was 18 at the time. Whatever, doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> how many how many Nazis did you shoot off of bikes when you were eighteen? Ah, fucking none. Fifty five. You know, back in my day, we didn't shoot them off. We fucking blow dartered them. <laughs> now, you're old enough to you've been throwing fu using fucking slings to try to knock them off their bikes. Not even like slingshots, like Bible style, like. I used to, Leather I used to, strap slings. Using the ad ladle. You're not, you know. Oh, you're not an indigenous Mexican. You can't use those. <laughs> oh. That's their weapon, goddammit. Fuck you, then. Those things are fucking crazy, though. I want one. Okay. All right. Well. They do sell them. They're, they do look pretty fucking rad. I'm not going to lie. So that is my badass. That is Simone Seguin. Cool. Okay, so let's uh, let's do our quick break, and we will come back. And uh, oh boy, I got no, a oh boy, I, I've got a I've got a fun one. Oh boy! So we uh, we got to talk about a uh, girl killing Nazis. We're going to talk about a guy around the same time period doing some other shit. But I'll be right back. Okay, we are back. Are you ready for this? Sure. Because this dude's name. Son of a bitch. His name's Son of a Bitch? No. I wish it would have been so much easier. His Hello, name... my name is Son of a Bitch. No, his name is Rafal uh, Ganganowitz. I thought you were going to say Rafiki. I was going to say, no. oh, great. This is way cooler. Oh. So Rafal Ganganowitz, and it's Gan-Ganowitz. So it's a two-parter last name. His parents hated him, didn't they? No, well... <laughs> Didn't have a lot of time with his parents, as we'll, we'll come to find out. Okay. Um, full disclosure, I rip on the Polish a bunch on this show. He's an asshole. It's not, no, it's not that I dislike Polish people, because I know a bunch of people that are of Polish descent, and they're fucking awesome. They're some of the nicest people you'll ever meet, and they're usually the first ones to crack Polak jokes. So, <laughs> you know, I, I worked with a guy at a, uh, a feed company that grew up in uh, a town eh, kind of next door to us, uh, West Rutland where there's a real high population of Polish immigrants that moved in there. And uh, when he was a kid, there was a term that they used for Polish kids over there, and they were called stone peggers because they'd get bored and they'd go out in the roads and throw fucking rocks at each other because they had nothing better to do. So it kind of goes to show the, uh, 
the type the, you know, the kind of people we're dealing with here. But uh, Rafal Genganowitz was born April 23rd, 1932, in Wawir, Warsaw. You made that up. I swear to God I didn't. I'm, I'm not sure it's supposed to be Wawir, because it's W-A-W-E-R, but I don't really know. Um, but it's a, a neighborhood in, in Warsaw. Okay. Uh, he could trace his family lineage directly back to the Muslim Tartar tribes that moved into the... The Tartars! Yeah. Like the same people that Genghis Khan butt-fucked for centuries. Those guys. You know? Um, but he, he... they, His family line moved into the Polish-Lithuanian border area. Um, and the where he could trace it back to was around 1500. So, that's pretty impressive. <laughs> To be no. able to trace your family's, you know, bloodline back that far. Um, of course, when they Moved. relocated to that part of Europe, they converted to Christianity because kind of hard to be a Muslim in an area like that back then. Where you're like, you know, there's uh, not a lot of options for us here. And pork's pretty cool. They'd and be beer's fun. Be so disappointed. Their family would be disappointed. I don't know, man. I don't know. I mean, the Polak, the the, Pol- the Polish love fucking alcohol and pork. I know that and much. Technically, you know what? In the Bible, it says, you know, you, uh, something about pork as well. So technically, if you're a true Christian, you well, Muslims and Jews don't eat pork, and and true Christians shouldn't eat pork as well. And you know what? That's why I'm not a part of any religion that tells me what I can and can't fucking eat. Uh, it's believed that every conflict from that time up until the time of his death that a Ganganowitz in one way, shape, or form fought for their homeland. So, in Poland has been in a lot of goddamn wars over the years. They uh, they get it worse off than a lot of a lot of places. Yeah. In 1939, when the Nazis and communists both invaded Poland, yes, he was seven years old. His mother was killed in the siege of Warsaw. Oh. Strike one against the Russians and Germans in his book. His father, who had left the country before that, had gone and joined up with the French Foreign Legion, and then spent some time in Argentina with the French Foreign Legion, and then come back. Doesn't Wait, really... The French Foreign Legion was in Argentina? Yeah, they, they went and did some shit. Really? Yeah. I never knew that. Yeah. I knew that they were in Africa. Oh, they went all over the place. They were they're a mercenary group essentially. They'll go to wherever, huh. you know. I did, I did not know that. Uh, okay, that's and cool. You don't have to be French to be in the French Foreign Legion. You can just be, well, no, you know, a uh, mercenary or a criminal of any <laughs> any fucking, you know, country and go there and Yeah. So So eventually his father does come home. And he joins up with the secretive Polish Home Army, which is because the the the, Pole, the Poles weren't allowed to have an army because you know they've been invaded. So the Home Army was like the resistance force, and these were some bad motherfuckers because most of them were either trained, during, you know, to fight during World War One, or they were trained by other people that had gone elsewhere to fight and done other shit. So these aren't just, you know, fucking schlubs out here with, you know, sticks and shit fighting you. Okay, okay. So during the Warsaw Uprising of 1944, his old man led a bunch of men into battle. Um, they didn't really give a fuck. They, they saw Nazis and Russians fighting each other, 
and they just kind of came into the middle of it and shot everybody that didn't look Polish. But eventually he was killed in action. Um, strike K- two. KIA. Yeah, strike two. And since he's Polish, Polish baseball, you only get two strikes. <laughs> now at the age of 12, Rafal was an orphan. He decides that now is the time to join up with the anti-fascist movement by running messages and propaganda for the Polish resistance. Okay. So they're, they're doing reconnaissance. They are running letters and information and stuff like that yep. to other resistance fighters to kind of keep them abreast of the situation with both sides of the, the fight here. Uh, at one point in time, he's caught by the Nazis and thrown into a concentration camp. Because you didn't have to be Jewish to go to that kind of camp. I'm not a Jew. They didn't yes, give. They didn't give two fucks. They're like, you know what? Hey, you're a piece of shit. You're going to camp. So, Is it summer camp? <laughs> yes. He wasn't planning on staying long. And he, uh, he actually escaped and hid until 1945 when the Russians quote-unquote liberated Poland. Um, we're going to use that term liberated very lightly because uh, they came in and were somehow even worse to the Poles than the Nazis had been <laughs> because, you know, the Russians had been trying to, they did the same thing to the Finns where they're like, oh yeah, no, you guys are, you know, we're going to fight you guys. But then when we come in, we are going to fucking ruin your lives. Yeah. And they did that. If they found anyone that had fought for the Polish army or the resistance movement, they were rounded up and killed except the women because the women were raped and then killed well because that's how we do of course you know it's how how it worked you gotta get your jollies (sighs) fucking garbage people while the red army was uh, was disappearing polish dissidents he did the most metal gear solid thing ever rounded up his in a box oh no he rounded up his fellow war orphans and they started some shit So literally created a group of kids his age that were like 12 to 16 years old Uh that had lost their parents in the war. And we're like, now it's our turn to go fuck these guys up. Okay, so I I, I recant my thing. It was actually Wolverines! Okay. Like I said, he did the most Metal Gear Solid thing ever and created a child army. Uh Uh-huh. So it started out by distributing anti-communist propaganda putting up some anti-communist flyers like they're, you know, promoting their band or some shit. Um, they start doing some graffiti, <laughs> which <coughs> I didn't think, I didn't know that was a thing back in the late 40s, early 50s, but if you're running around tagging, that's fine. That's cool. So so basically the, the gist of their, pro- of their graffiti was essentially telling the Soviets their mother sucked eggs, shit like that. <laughs> you, know, you know, insults. We can't swear. Insults We're not of the day, yeah. Go jump in a lake, you fucking commies. So all of this shit carried a death sentence under Soviet rule, obviously. Because you could fart cross-eyed, and they were going to round you up and kill you. Uh-huh. At one point, a Soviet patrol, and these patrols weren't, like, regular army. These were secret police out patrolling after curfew and shit like that. Uh-huh. Um, they ended up getting, you know, catching them, vandalizing uh, some walls, and start shooting at them. Thankfully, at least for them, about 80% of Warsaw at this point in time was rubble, so they had plenty of places to hide. Shortly after, the crew uh, found some weapons, uh, including uh, bolt-action rifles, a handful of submachine guns, stuff like that. 
and they go back out on their vandalizing ways. Wow, I mean, they're they're armed now, so even yeah. the odds a little. Well, bit. here's the thing: is they weren't armed when they were. Well, hold on here. So they get caught again, and the secret police start shooting at them. So they retreat into the rubble. <laughs> Not this time, motherfucker. And they come back out, guns blazing, and actually fight this group of of Soviet secret police off. Like fight them to a stalemate, and both parties just kind of like. Okay. <laughs> it's just, you know, they leave. You're good. You're good. All yeah. right, we'll leave. Thanks. So this would continue for months. And keep in mind, these are all teenagers, again. Young mm-hmm. kids, teenagers. None of them can legally vote at this point in time, essentially. And they're fighting off highly trained Russian military. I mean, the as, only place to happen. As highly trained as the Russian military got. This is the same... The same force that, you know, they sent two guys out per rifle during World War Two. You know, wait for your buddy to die, grab his fucking Mosin and start shooting. Yeah, but it's not the you know, it's not the first time not the first time only not the only time, you know, a force has faced children. No, no, definitely they, they definitely wasn't in, the last time either. They did that in Berlin where yeah. they had to finally say, Alright, you can stop now, you know. You're yeah, but done. they were fighting kids and old men like the the home guard were not well trained at all. These are like these are kids that are like, no fuck you, you killed my parents. Now all of you are gonna die. I'm gonna kill as many of you as I can. Oh, but no, a lot of the kids that were fighting in Berlin were from the uh, what's it called? Uh, the breeding camps? <laughs> no, no, they were uh, like uh, Kinder something, whatever. The they were basically like Boy Scouts. The Nazi, the Hitler Youth, Hitler Youth, Hitler Youth Group, yeah, whatever they, uh, there was a name for it though, but I mean, they were trained how to use their weapons, not military level though. Uh, I would say they probably were. Well, so in 1950, he gets tipped off that the secret police had kind of zeroed in on him because uh, he was known, like they knew who he was. And they were actively trying to find him because they knew if they could kill him, mm-hmm. the group would disband. So being a natural born leader and a genuinely good person, he kind of disbands his team, tells everybody to go into hiding, take off. He did the same, except when he went into hiding, he strapped a pistol and a submachine gun to himself, threw his coat over and, uh, took a little walk down to the Warsaw train station. And I know you're thinking, I've done this <laughs> I've done this mission in Call of Duty. It's it's not it's not that cool. It's I mean it's it's cool. It's but it's not like uh it's not cool. You're not walking into a Russian airport with a belt fed machine gun. Again that was a cool mission. Again, this is this is I'm sorry. This is more Metal Gear Solid than that. He wasn't you know it, it's it's because he wasn't about to go guns blazing into a train station sending commies to Jesus. He had a better plan. I don't know. They don't believe in Jesus, so makes it even better. Uh, yes, they do. Com- no, dude. The communists were pretty heavy atheists at the time. Um, I think a lot of them were were Eastern Orthodox. Yeah, either way. Christians. Either way. Not the same Jesus. <laughs> they believe in bear Jesus. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> sure. Their, their Jesus more, looks more like Zangief from Street Fighter. Uh <laughs> Doesn't have the long hair, but he's all chest hair and shit. Yeah. 
So he's at the train station. He's got to get out of town. He just doesn't happen to have any money on him to buy a ticket. And he also doesn't want to wait in line and have them fucking ask to check his papers and shit and then have to, you know, smoke check a bunch of fucking communists where he doesn't need to. So what he does instead is he crawls up underneath the train, like up underneath one of the train cars, and uh, there's little supports above the axles. Gets his feet over one of them, grabs onto the other ones and pulls himself up, and uh, he takes a little ride. By little ride, I mean from Warsaw to West Germany, uh, more specifically Berlin, which is uh, 356 miles, or for our European friends, 574 kilometers, underneath a goddamn train. Damn, dude. (laughs) The upper body strength is amazing. uh, So when he gets there, obviously being in Western, you know, West Berlin, this you're free. You're good because you made it to you made it to the right neighborhood in Berlin. (laughs) You know, you didn't uh, you didn't end up in the, the red side of it. You went to the you got to the good side. So when he gets there, he gets into some into contact with some uh, Americans that decided that uh, Poland needs to be de-Russian and uh, Rafal Genginowicz would be the man to do it. He spent about three years going through extensive uh, vetting processes and quarantine and all that shit because this is a pretty common spy tactic. Spycraft shit to be like, oh yeah, no, I'm one of you guys. I'm uh, here to help and then gather up as much information as you can to take off. So when they're like, are you a Russian spy? He's like, fucking no. Those guys can suck every inch of my dick that's ever existed. <laughs> Fuck those guys. So they're like, yeah, he's, he's probably not some, he's probably not a pinko spy. Nope. He, he's good. You passed. You said the secret magic word. <coughs> they can suck my dick. Yeah. So they, they, they didn't suspect him of any Soviet trickery. Um, so after going through all of that, he transferred to northern France to take part in some uh, some pretty intense commando training. When I say commando training, <laughs> I, I mean English and American, essentially special forces training for the 1950s. So he's he's learning under army rangers <laughs> and British commandos, okay, who like fucked stuff up in World War II. Yeah, they they were no joke. They still are not. Um, so while he was there, he also went through, um, their version of OCS, which would be like officer candidate school, um, for the free Polish armed forces in exile, which is again, a long ass name. (laughs) So when he left OCS, he was commissioned as a second Lieutenant and he was going to be a pretty integral part of something that would become known as operation rollback, which again, with some Metal Gear Solid shit. Rollback was supposed... Rollback. (laughs) So it's essentially going to be a secret espionage program where allied groups would go into Soviet-held countries uh, and, like, bigger cities, basically go in, gather intel, and assassinate specific targets, and then just, poof, blend off into the, into the, the surroundings and eventually return back to home base. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically they're like, we want to send you back into Poland as part of this, because we know that you 
are not a big fan of Russians. More specifically, communists. And he's like, no, no, fuck those guys. So, unfortunately, Operation Rollback never takes place, and that would be due to the 1956 Hungarian Uprising. So this whole thing started after uh, Nikita Khrushchev gave a speech where he kind of disavowed the actions of Stalin and that whole area of you know era of communism, where he's like, they were a little aggressive. They didn't need to be, you know, probably could have handled shit a little differently. And that got people thinking, oh, cool. So maybe we can have like an open debate in public and maybe have a multi-party system for our political thing. No. And that wasn't the case because this is still communism. <laughs> you have two choices. The one we give you or die. <laughs> So uh, a man by the name of Imri Nagy became pr uh, premier of Hungary November 1st, 1956. And on November 4th of that very same year, the Soviets invaded and kind of shut down this little revolution. Um, black bag Nagy and uh, was dragged him off to some fucking gulag somewhere and uh, executed him in 1958 for treason. So... Not sure how it can be considered treason if it's usually treason is like when you're being a shithead in your country. Sure, that's fine. How can you be tried for a treason by someone in a different country and you know from where you are? Well, that'd be like technically that'd be like the, the like the British arresting one of us and being like we're going to try year, you for what, treason. What year? 1958. Well, technically, wasn't that whole area still under? Yeah, it was all it was all Soviet bloc. But yeah, you know. so still Soviet bloc. So technically, that is treason. Yeah, but Te it is technically still treason, yeah. no matter how you see. Talk. That's that's the problem that we run into with uh, with our, our our Soviet friends is they they tend to put their fingers in a bunch of pies that don't really belong to them and go, oh, these are ours now. Well, until one man named Ronald Reagan said. Mr. Gorbachev, Reagan angry, Reagan smash. <laughs> he said, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down that wall. And then he forgot what he was talking about. And then he went, what? God, it's reminiscent of what we got going on now, isn't it? Oh, <laughs> uh, I don't know. Oh, I'm, I, I know I'm here at this thing for uh, these 13 Marines that I allowed to die. I better check my watch and make sure the camera sees me doing it. Yeah. Fuck face. Anyway, um, so so here's Ganowitz. He's all dressed up with nowhere to go. He knew that uh, he knew he knows deep in his heart there's still communists in the world that need to die, and he's the man that has to kill him. That damn dear communists need to die. But, but he knew that this wasn't the right time to kill communists. Oh, you gotta wait twenty years. So instead, he picked up a position as a a teacher, a high school teacher in France for a few years. And uh, in 1965, he's kind of hanging out at home, getting, you know, maybe maybe preparing his, his study lessons for the class. And he uh. picks up the newspaper and uh, reads a part of reads an article about some god-awful shit going on in the Congo. So anyone not familiar with this situation, at that point in time, the Congo had been an absolute shit show for almost 100 years. 
due to the actions of King Leopold II of Belgium, winner of our 2021 Asshole Eliminator Tournament. So there's your callback. I've got another guy on my list that has a direct link to him, but he was also a super awesome, like, actual good guy. Potentially the bastard son of. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, so Rafal packs up his stuff, heads off to the Congo, and joins up the forces of Moses Sakambe, which I don't know how I, if I did that yet. I mean, there's a T-S and C are the first three letters of, yeah, the first three letters of this guy's last name are T-S-C. So I'm going to go with Sakambe. I love it. So he was fighting against the Soviet forces in the Congo. Because, again, Africa was essentially not just the Congo. Basically, all of Africa was a proxy war field, like a yes. battle zone yes. for the Cold War. Yeah. Same it's with like, Southeast, Southeast Asia. It's like playing a game of risk. It is. It's exactly like that, except millions of people died. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, definitely a game of risk. Yeah. Not not battleship, but definitely risk. So you've got it. You've got you got to. You get one area pinned down, and you're like, ah, boom. Except if it's Take risk, if it's risk, and you're lucky, you start off in Australia, and you just butt slam everybody. But from we're talking there. about Africa, right? So everybody has, Africa sucks all kinds of butt. Everybody to has fucking defend. a piece, unless you were the smart one and invested a lot more troops. Mm-hmm. In Africa, and you started off in Northern Africa, then you really fucking rail on people as you get further down. Yeah. So, let me let me paint the picture here. No, no, never mind. I, I take that back. You have to start off in Southern Africa. Yeah, down you work your South way Africa. Up. Yeah, you have to you know, concentrate your forces, then work your way. Because yeah, anybody in the Middle East or Europe, they can just fucking come down and hammer on you. Yeah, you hope you hope for that. Right. So, kind of going to kind of paint the picture here. You have. The anti-communist forces that Ganowitz is not part of. Uh-huh. You have the communist forces. And then you've got all of these tribal warlords <laughs> that have just been collecting weapons off of dead people from either side. Because they're not picky. Because they got guns and we need them. Oh, yeah, of course. So, again, another three-sided fight. This guy is very good at this whole managing of having to fight two separate groups of people at the same time. Which is, you know, surprising for... Anybody, essentially. (laughs) This guy does a better job of fighting a war on two fronts than fucking Napoleon did. True. I mean, he he got, you know, he learned that not to go into, yeah. Everybody learns not to go into Russia. Dude, this guy would have gone into Russia in his underwear in the winter with a knife in his teeth and just killed every fucking commie that he ran into. Men, women, children, dogs, he didn't give a fuck. He would have killed them all. See, we just haven't gone into Russia yet. Yet, We'd win. being the operative word. <laughs> We'd win. Uh, there are different species over there. They're not humans. They're Russians. We'd win. I've watched these motherfuckers catch bullets with their bare hands off of tanks for fun. Uh-huh. We'd win. Yeah. Okay. Anyway. Okay. Sure. <laughs> um, We'd have a Ganowitz or two. Yeah. We'd need them. So Ganowitz rallies his guys. Um which is a essentially just a mercenary platoon, uh, and they defend the town of Stanleyville, 
which is pretty fucking white for the Congo. Um, Welcome to Stanleyville. They would Stanleyville. That place has a mustache and a monocle. Yes, it does. Ah, welcome to Stanleyville, folks. How are you doing today? So they they would later operate between the two much more decidedly African areas of Katanga and Kivu. Bullshit. Doesn't (laughs) exist. So the side uh, the side he fell on were um, the Katangans. That that was essentially it sounds like some shit out of Star Trek. I know, but the Katangans were basically the main force of his mercenary group. Um, you know, he had a, a handful of like Western officers and some South African mercenaries, and like something about South African mercenaries is always weirded me out. Like these guys are fucking crazy. Because you're a white dude, you live in Africa, but you sound like you're Austrian. Something here doesn't compute. It doesn't make sense to me. No, they sound, uh, they sound more Australian to me. I've, I've worked with South Africans. They s- sounded Austrian. Uh, well, I don't know. His name was know. Hans. Okay, Side pre- story, the, uh, the South African guy that I worked with left the country because the farm next to the one he owned, uh, a group of guys went in there. Uh, killed the entire family, made the father watch, and then burned the house while he was still alive in it, chained to a chair. So he's like, we gonna leave. Um, so anyway, he would lead his men uh, to fight against uh, surprisingly Chinese-trained, like Chinese communist-trained uh, troops led by a man by, uh, named Pierre Mulele. Uh, um, so after they wiped this crew out. They'd move on to uh, Gaston Semelot and his 10,000 men who were trained by a mix of Russians and Cubans. So as Semelot's shitheads are getting pounded by Polak, Giejo, and his rent army, the Cubans and Russians got more involved in the fighting by transporting supplies, armored vehicles, uh, some personnel, and foreign advisors into the er- directly into the area. And among those advisors was notable piece of shit Che Guevara. Yeah, so Che Guevara didn't just fight in Cuba or South America. He went to fucking Africa. So Guevara's presence didn't really make a damn bit of difference. Ganowitz and his boys captured a high-end, uh, a high-end Soviet-trained commander by the name of Makundu in the process. So after spanking Che and sending him home crying like the little bitch that he was, they started trying to restore order to the area. So this this got a little tricky just due to the, the remnant communist forces that were still in the area. The local warlords are causing havoc constantly, just killing people in the you know in villages and stuff and taking all their shit. Um, they also had to fight off a local group calling themselves the Crocodile People. Yeah. I've heard of them. Okay, so the Crocodile People were kidnapping fishermen uh, of the... Mawabu, <laughs> oh, fucking hell, near the uh, Luliaba River. So they weren't really kidnapping them. That wasn't the big deal. The big deal is that they were fucking eating these people when they kidnapped them. Yeah, so they were farming people, basically. <laughs> okay. So Rafal gets, uh, gets some intel as to where the den of crocodile people lives. And he gets a bunch of his men together, and uh, they get to the camp and realize that the entire outside of this encampment is adorned with heads and skulls of the people that have been kidnapped and cannibalized. 
That's okay. This was not a fair fight. They killed every single member of this group. Because these guys didn't have guns. They're fight, trying to fight them off with bows and spears and shit. They went in and fucking annihilated this entire group. So, eventually, uh, Sakombe would be exiled to northern Rhodesia, which is now Zambia. Had to check that out because Rhodesia got split into two different areas. Northern half of it's Zambia. Uh, Ganowitz would, uh, you know, he, he's feeling good. He's like, I'm back in the fight. I'm feeling good. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take up some more work. So, the job he happens to take is for the Saudi royal family. <laughs> he was sent to Yemen to train up an insurgency force of tribal members in 1967. So, he didn't take any time off. He flew from Africa to goddamn Yemen. Yep. The target this time was the Egyptian National Socialist Movement. Which sounds more like Egyptian Nazis to me, but they were still backed by the Soviets. <laughs> So, a little backwards, but that's fine. Um, so, these shitbags were, again, like we just said, Soviet-backed. So, he bitch-slaps as many of these Egyptians that come near him um, and then turns his sights on the Soviet trainers and advisors in the area because he knows they're the real enemy. These Egyptians, they're a footnote. We don't have to worry about these guys. I'm here for the Soviets. Okay. <laughs> so, this crazy motherfucker shoots down a MiG-29... That was, at the time, being piloted by the leader of the Red Army Advisors, a man only known as Colonel Kozlov. So, Ganowitz gets to the wreck and finds a super convenient list of all the Soviet pilots in the area. So, he hands this list over to the Yemeni leaders, and uh, he just he starts causing some chaos here. He sets up an ambush in a mountain canyon a la Indiana Jones. So he and a handful of his insurgents that he brought with him destroyed an entire Soviet tank column that was traveling through the canyon. <laughs> Just imagine this white dude in a fucking headdress, like legitimately like Indiana Jones with a fucking RPG or some shit. <laughs> uh, so then one night he also decided it'd be really fun if he uh, rounded up a handful of mortar tubes couple boxes of mortars and he makes his merry way down to a little hidden location and mortared the ever loving dog shit out of the Soviet embassy, completely leveling it to the fucking ground. Nothing remains. So after he butt slammed their embassy to the ground, he finishes up in, in uh, Yemen, goes back to Paris. Um, while he was back in France, he had actually been offered a multitude of, uh, of contracts to fight other people's wars like he had been basically his entire life. And he turned them down because he had a code. I'm only going to fight Nazis and I'm only going to fight commies. <laughs> so one of these offers comes from Fidel fucking Castro of all people. Again, I only fight Nazis and I only fight commies. I'll fight you. <laughs> so he very politely turns down Castro's offer no, he does not. He did, because then, as he sit there, after he'd just gotten off the phone, I'm assuming with Castro himself, that's how it would work in the movie, is, you know, Fidel Castro calls me, he's like, hey, so I got these Americans I want you to fight. And no. he's like, I appreciate it, thank you, no. Hangs up the phone, and just goes... <sighs> no, it definitely wasn't Fidel on the phone. No, he... Shh, hear me out. 
So he hangs up the phone with Fidel, or Raul, one of the two. Hangs up the phone and just goes, Man, I should really just go kill him. And he thought about it. He worked up a plan. And they went, eh, never mind. (laughs) So so he legitimately, like, worked up a plan to be like, I could go to Cuba. I know I can kill him. If I get out alive or not, it's a different story. But I know I can get there and accomplish what I want to do. Okay. And he goes, nah, fuck it. So in the late 70s, he took up a journalism position. He squandered an opportunity to become famous. The man who took out Fidel Castro. Well, we squandered an opportunity like that, too. I think we covered <laughs> that one already. Um, well, I mean, we didn't, we, didn't. we didn't squander it. We fucked it up. <laughs> There's a huge difference. Okay, first off, a hey, we, quote unquote, didn't fuck anything up. The CIA fucked everything up. No. The, the, no. No. Is the back now. of your head twitching where that, where that fucking chip is? or <laughs> Maybe a little. All right. Anyway. So, so the, journalist job. Yeah, so he took up a, a journalism position at Radio Free Europe. Ooh. Yeah. Wait, Radio Free Europe. It's like some pirate radio <laughs> shit. It's pretty cool. So when the communists imposed martial law, he became the chief coordinator in the West for the Fighting Solidarity Movement. I'm not sure what that is. So they conducted basically information warfare, um, printed printed and distributed many underground newspapers, and uh, infiltrated members into Poland's secret police and supported anti-communist movements all across the Soviet bloc. So all of those countries. So in the mid-'80s, Ganowitz also agreed to serve as a commanding officer of a CIA-backed Polish legion to fight in Afghanistan. This is fucking excellent. So he fought for the Black Hand. No. Well, the problem is the CIA wanted more deniability, and they ended up going with something that would become known as Operation Cyclone. So Operation Cyclone would lead us directly to where we are now because this was the operation that bankrolled and armed the Mujahideen in an effort for them to fight the Russians off themselves. And uh, obviously we all know the main douche involved there would be Osama bin Laden. Um, Look up CIA agent Tim Osman if you ever get bored. Shit gets real interesting real quick. Uh, O-S-M-A-N is the spelling of the last name. Uh, that's a rabbit hole to, to go down into. So just think, if the U.S. had just turned this crazy Polak loose in Afghanistan with a handful of SEALs or Rangers or Delta or, fuck it, give him a, a pack of Boy Scouts, he could have kicked Russian dicks all over the desert and the U.S. may not have gotten involved in that Afghanistan in the first place. Well, we didn't go to Afghanistan for oil. We went to Iraq for oil. No, we didn't. We didn't go to Iraq for oil. <laughs> Did we go? We went there for those quote unquote weapons of mass destruction. Yes. Yeah. WMDs. Yeah. Let's get it straight. We went for the WMDs and we stayed for the fucking oil. <laughs> Woo! I don't, think, uh, <coughs> I don't know. I don't think we get much oil from Iraq. I think it's more Saudi Arabia. Yeah, but still, the uh, the Saudis and uh, Iraqis not buddies. So we go in and fight the Iraqis. Because we're friends with the Saudis. Well, yeah, because they're one Shia, win-win. one Sunni. It's a win-win. You know, I mean, two different. It's it's like uh, 
Iran, Iraq, not yeah. buddies. No. Two different two different uh, groups. Yeah. But we can go in and fight these dickheads, and maybe these other dickheads that we're friends with will be like, hey, we're going to sneak you a couple million we barrels used, of oil. We used to be friends with Iran. Yeah. And then the extremists went in and fucked that country over. No. Because back in the 50s, like, pictures of Iran looked like goddamn New York City. No, the CIA happened in Iran. Yeah, no shit. I said extremists. I wasn't specific as to who. <laughs> we put people into power. Yeah, fucking Ayatollahs. Um, I'm not wrong. No, you're right. So, but... Mm. That but, was only in the 80s. Yeah. Because the... Was the <laughs> then we went in and killed one. <laughs> the Iraq-Iran war was like 85, I think. Something like that. I mean, it started before then, I think. I think it was like... Late seventies, early eighties no, is when it really I started. I don't know. I think it was like eighty five. Yeah. Maybe like, I don't know. Something close to that. Because I knew it was like in the eighties where that that happened. But then we definitely realized we fucked up and sent somebody in and killed one of the Ayatollahs. <laughs> we were like, we'll try another one. Get rid of this one. We're like, yeah, this is not much better either. Son of a bitch. <sighs> That's when the CIA knew they fucked up. So by the end of the 1990s, Rafal had moved back to Poland after the Soviet Union collapsed. He got to go home, which is awesome. There he was diagnosed with an aggressive form of cancer. Uh, Nazi death squads, concentration camps, Soviet secret police, multiple different Soviet militia trained groups, uh, Soviet troops themselves, Chinese and Cuban special forces. None of it could kill him. Unfortunately... Despite medical intervention, the cancer did in 2002. So he had to have been, what, 60-something? Somewhere in that neighborhood. He was born in 30, 32. Okay. So, yeah, he, was, he, he, he had a short but hard life. Uh, I mean, it's not, not necessarily short, short but... Um, so he was 70. 2002? He was 70. Oh, what that, when did he die? 2002. Did he just turn 70, or... Well, I'm somewhere in there, 69, 70, somewhere in that okay, neck of the so woods. Still. But he also fought Soviets Yeah. on three different goddamn continents. He, he had a... He had a <laughs> He'd rough, done it, like... His life was, uh, was, was, was not easy, let's say that. Right. So he, he led, uh, left behind a memoir titled... Condentieri, which translates into Soldiers of Fortune, which I want to find this book. I want to read his book. Mm -hmm. um, his lifelong dream of eradicating communism obviously never came to fruition. Um, but during his time of kicking ass and taking names, he was interviewed by a reporter that asked him, quote, what does it feel like to kill another human being? And he answered with the best quote that I've ever had the opportunity to read on this show. Quote, I wouldn't know. I've only ever killed communists. <laughs> so that's uh, that's Rafal Ganganowitz. Uh, crazy, crazy son of a bitch. And I, it was an honor to be able to, to talk about him because, uh, again, like I said, I, I, I brag on the Polish pretty hard generally because it's fun. And they generally don't give much of a shit, but... That dude was fucking crazy. Yeah. Super badass guy. So that was uh, that was fun. So I mean, it was a toss up between him and an Irishman that 
basically gave Rommel hemorrhoids as far up his ass as he was <laughs> during World War II. Or another guy that hated the communists so much that he became a Nazi. <laughs> and then, yeah, we'll save him for a different story because he, he might be his own episode. That's the extent of this crazy motherfucker's life, but... So yeah, that's what uh, that's what we got for this week for some badasses. Two different uh, badass people in their own right. Yeah. You know, and uh, I uh, it's funny. So I was just uh, trying to find it. It's on my um, Facebook page. I'm trying to find it. Damn it. Hmm. Well, there was a uh, we're t- we're talking about badass women, badass people. Well, it was woman. Can't I have to find her name. Can't find. Look, find it. She, it was like on this little, like, uh, I get this little thing that's for like, you know, a little, uh, did you know type of thing comes across on my, on my feed from now on, which is pretty cool. And I've shared some stuff on the page from it. Um, this woman, she, uh, she, her husband got killed by Nazis. So she sold everything. Oh, the Russian woman bought a yes a T eighty four yes and the and asked to go be able to kill Nazis yes and I, and the Soviet, her name escapes me but I've heard of her the Soviet Union's like sure well you bought your own fucking tank so yeah yeah go for it I don't I don't have any heartburn just go fucking do it go hog wild and uh, I can't remember. They ended up, like, nicknaming her tank, like, so-and-so's girlfriend or something like that. And ever since then, whenever that tank battalion has uh, has upgraded to a different, like, ru- like, line of tanks, they've always picked one aside and named it after her tank. Like, ever since World War II, which is fucking crazy cool. Ah, oh, damn it, what's her name? Oh, the fucking... Maria... Oktobriaski, I believe, is the one I'm finding here. Yeah. And uh, her her tank's nickname was Fighting Girlfriend. Yes, Fighting Girlfriend. And ever since then, every every Soviet, every time that tank battalion has upgraded to a different uh, line of tanks, they've had a Fighting Girlfriend in it. It's, It's pretty fucking awesome. I will give them credit, dude. The Soviet women during World War II were just as, if not more, badass than most of the male soldiers. You have an easier time finding (coughs) a notable female Soviet soldier, like information on her, than you do a notable Soviet male soldier. Because I don't know why. Because there's her, there's the, um, oh, damn it, the the sniper that uh, Enemy at the Gates was based off of. Or she just butt-fucked Nazis in Stalingrad for days and days and days. Yeah. Just ruined their fucking lives. She killed like 180 Nazis over the course of a few days. Well, that's what you can do. Dude, she's a, she's a fucking badass. They're batshit crazy. Yeah. So, anyway. So, I, I have to share this one more. So this guy, I just came across this, this uh, from this weird facts thing. So this guy named Benjamin Lay, an 18th century Quaker abolitionist once kidnapped the child of slaveholders temporarily to show them how Africans felt 
when their relatives were sold overseas. <laughs> That's fucked up. <laughs> I mean, technically, he would have had to been a Muslim and done it that way. Or another African tribe. <laughs> but hey, that's fine. But uh, yeah, so some badass people. Yes. Uh, so next week, uh, I think we're gonna cover. Uh, we're gonna go do the state thing. We're gonna do Louisiana finally. Louisiana. We, we teased it like a fucking month ago. Yeah, something like that. And then we're like, eh, let's do other stuff. And uh, anyway, so with that said, uh. If you're in the mood for to get some uh, brand new headphones or earbuds or Bluetooth speaker, look no further than studio.com. Go on over, check them out. They got it all. And uh, when you're done, when you find what you want, put it in the basket, go to checkout, put the promo code of DarkWindows15 in, get 15% off your entire purchase. Also, you can head over to DarkWindowsPod.com. Okay, fine. That is our website. We've got links there to all of our social medias, our Facebook, we're Dark Windows Podcast, Instagram and Twitter, we're Dark Windows Pod at both of those. Uh, also has links to our Age of Radio page where you can listen to every episode of this shit that we've ever done, and you can go there and find your next favorite podcast at the Age of Radio Network. We've got something for everybody, no matter your taste, no matter what your... Uh, uh, no matter what you're looking for, we got something for everybody. Uh, so go check him out. That's uh, ageofradio.org is the official page for all of that. Um, yeah, I think that's all I got. Yeah. We banged that shit out fast. We did. I was... Uh, that's how we do, as they say. No, I was uh, I was just... I stayed on track there doing the, the end thing. It was nice. Yeah, you did. Also, you can, uh, you can rate, review, and subscribe. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can... Rate where, uh, rate and review wherever you can. Um, just helps us out to kind of see how we're doing. It's uh, yeah, and uh, it's just our... remember, keep going over to uh, keep going over to, come to the Facebook page and yeah. uh, you know, interact more if you start want. Start a conversation, yeah, join up, it. and we will find something for you to talk about. <laughs> if you don't have a topic, one will be assigned to you shortly. <laughs> <laughs> and, if you, and if you don't want a topic, it will be assigned. Yeah. It, it, we, we've got plenty of people on there that can start up conversations about just about anything. And we have. We've had some very interesting shit happen there. Mm-hmm. But again, almost four years in, and we still haven't had to kick anybody off the page. So No, we haven't. We haven't not. had anything reported. So, well, I, mean, I mean, we've had shit reported, but that's just because of stuff that Facebook caught. Because they're a bunch of goddamn Nazis anyway. But nothing <laughs> like where somebody else has been like, I don't like that. You shouldn't do that. It's all just been fucking algorithm, algorithm bullshit. But uh-huh. anyway, until next week, just because you can't see out into the dark doesn't mean that the dark can't see into you. Uh-huh.